Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.me. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout the week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download your apps. Now let's get to this week's message in our You Asked For It series, a series designed from questions we've received from you. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? All right, good to see you. So I just want to highlight, emphasize one of those announcements that you just saw about part four tonight. The good news about first step, you don't have to do it in order. So some of you can begin here tonight. You know, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. It's one of the things we do as his disciples is to serve, to be a part of what's happening. So at part four, you can find out how you can become part of the dream team, part of what God is doing here at Grace Life. I want to encourage all of you to find your place. So hope to see you there tonight, 530. All right, we're on part three of a series we're doing called You Asked For It. It's where we are answering your questions that don't fit into any other series. So, so far, we've answered a couple of good questions. The first one was, how do I control my tongue? One of you asked that. Probably all of you should have asked that. All of us should have asked that, but at least one of us did. They saved the rest of us. Uh, And then last week, we looked at the question, am I supposed to take the Bible literally? That was fun. If you missed that, go catch that online. Today, we're going to answer this. What is biblical parenting? Wow, I've had that response all day long for some reason. Like nobody seems to be overly excited. I think the first thing is there's a deep sigh that goes across the room of just, ah, oh, picked the wrong day to come to church. You know, because first of all, many of us are parents and we don't need to be reminded at, at how much we're failing, right? Come on, who's with me on that one? Yeah. And then we've got those of us that are empty nesters. We think our children are already at the home. I don't need what's being said today. Here's what I'd like to say to you. First of all, never limit how God may speak. I mean, in the craziest messages on the strangest topics, God may speak to you in a way uh, that will help you, as well as the fact that this could help you in grandparenting if you're headed towards that. It could help you in neighboring as your neighbor's kids come running across your lawn and you want to know how to address that, Uh, as well as these are just good principles for relationships all around. Then I also know, as I said that, that some people's hearts were broken. Because you want to have children and God has not blessed you with that yet. That's still something you're praying for and praying through. I just want to encourage you to listen today in faith. Uh, trust that God is, is hearing your prayers. Uh, and then also for all of us, I think it's important for us. We miss one of the biggest things in the church world today. And that is the value of spiritual parenting. You know, raising up children spiritually, having disciples, these principles apply to that as well. So I still hope, I still believe that we can all get something out of this, even those of you that just gave the collective sigh across the room. So that's why we should all be excited to hear this. Now, let me be honest with you. I was not excited to talk about it. When we looked at the questions we were going to answer, I, I told the staff I didn't want to do this one. I kind of pushed back, and, and they kind of said, no, 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 this is a great topic. Many people are asking this. Many people want to know about it. So I said, okay. Then I'd come back a week later and say, hey, can we talk about these topics again? I really don't want to do this one. And I just really kept saying, I don't want to do this one. And one of the reasons is this is not an area where I feel like my wife and I are the prime examples it, it, just to be honest, we feel like we are still way behind the learning curve on this. 
Okay, so all four of my children are first grade and older, so you won't be able to figure out who is I'm talking about here. But one of our children managed to get suspended for three days from school in kindergarten. Come on, that's a parenting achievement right there. Woo, yeah. And then there are those times where we have our kids on the front row with us while we're worshiping and people come up and say, man, I just really want to give you a a pat on the back for modeling how to worship with your kids. That's that's a great example. And I'm thinking, if they only knew it's because our kids got in so much trouble in children's church, they can't leave them over there anymore. (laughs) We are not the ones that are here to say, We know it all, do it our way. Matter of fact, what I am going to do today is just share a lot of our stories and a lot of our failures as we're on this journey with you. And so, you know, when we look at the Bible, probably the most famous passage in all of Scripture, uh, the first one that would come to your mind might be Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way. So the question today is, what is that way? What is that way? The truth is every one of us is going to parent in one of three ways, just depending. The first way is the way that you experienced. You will do what was done to you. And this comes naturally. It doesn't require any thought. It doesn't require any effort. And despite how many times you swore to yourself you would not grow up to be like your mother or your father, you will find yourself doing something going, I am my father. You know, like, how did this happen? I just yelled at my kids the exact same way my dad used to yell at me. I said I would never do this. So one of the things we will do comes very naturally is exactly what has been done to us. The second way that we could train up our children is from secular insights and secular practices. Here's the thing. Most of these are also naturally to uh, come naturally to us. They're also accidental in our lives. We don't have to put a lot of effort into it. You, you will have friends who are doing things. You'll see them. You'll just copy it because it looks like a good idea. One of your friends will share an idea. It sounds good, so you will try that. You'll just be flipping through the channels and come across Dr. Phil, and he says something. He calls, come on, Dr. Phil's a genius, right? We're going to try that. Or you're waiting in a doctor's office, and you're flipping through a magazine. You see an article about the very problem you're having with your kids, so you're going to try that. But most of it's just accidental, just whatever you come across. You don't really make any effort. But the third one is what we want to talk about the way today. It's the way of biblical practices and biblical insights. Now, this one is almost exclusively intentional. Very little accidental about it. Because it takes effort to track down good biblical teaching on parenting. It takes effort to read books written on this subject. It takes effort to attend small groups on this subject. It takes effort to go and find another couple. It looks like they're doing this well. Their children seem to follow God and seem to love them. And you go to them and say, would you mentor me? I want my kids to smile when they see me too, like yours do. You know that kind of, come on, y'all with me? It takes effort. And most of us, because this takes so much effort, it's the least likely to happen. You want me to prove my point? We have double the national average of children here at our church. Most churches need half the amount of nursery space and children's space that we need. That means we have a lot of young families with a lot of children. And despite that, here's the interesting stat. We have a set of life groups here at Grace Life to help you grow intentionally. We call it our grow path. We have one called Grow Spirit. It's to help you understand who is the Holy Spirit and spiritual freedom. We have one called Grow Finance. It's to help you get out of debt and learn to budget. We have several called Grow Marriage because we need lots of help with our marriage, right? And we have Grow Beliefs and Grow Mission and Grow Leader. And then we've got one called Grow Family. 
And for as long as I've been the pastor at Grace Life, Grow Family has been the least attended, least amount of interest, so little that sometimes the group doesn't even exist. This time, this cycle, only two people are going to it. The, peop- the, the couple who said, we want to learn this, we will host it in our home, and the couple that said, I guess we're the teachers. They're the only ones. This will tell you it takes a lot of effort, and many of us are not willing to put that much effort into it. So what is our game plan to answer the question today? Because this whole question of what is biblical parenting is a huge question. And to be honest, there's more to be said than I have time to say. It would be worthy of an entire series, a very long series, by the way. There have been many books written on it. I can't begin to cover even one book today. I've got a friend of mine, pastor, who has eight children, so he wrote a series called The Ten Commandments of Child Rearing. I guess it sounded funny to him. And then, of course, like we said, it could be an entire small group, and it is. So here's our game plan for today, since I cannot do all that. I just want to touch on some principles. You see, what we do our practices. But practices should come from principles. There should be a theme, a a guide for the things that we do that overarches everything. And so here's what I believe. We should have biblical practices driven by biblical principles. I'm going to say that again because that was worthy of that. We should have biblical practices driven by biblical principles. So what I'm going to do today is simply give us a list. It just so happens it's going to be a top five list because when I got done, I counted and there were five. But it's going to be a top five list of the biblical principles I see most often overlooked, most often ignored, or most often not taught. And so that's what I want to touch on today. It's just my experience as a pastor, as I sit down with families, as I sit down with couples. It's kind of anecdotal in that sense because there's not a book written on just these five. I don't know why these five make it other than, again, this is my experience. Is that okay with everybody? As well as many of these are the ones my wife and I are working the hardest to do as well. So nobody feel bad today as we do this. All right. Principle number one, biblically speaking, raising children is a responsibility and a privilege. Raising children is a responsibility and a privilege. This has to be the foundation to everything we do. We need to understand that this is not something that we have an obligation to. This is the greatest opportunity that God has given us. You see, think about this. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what we love to do in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s, and even as we get older, we love to quote this verse and talk about all the good things God has planned for me and his purposes for me that were established before I even began. It's not like God today is trying to determine tomorrow. God has already determined what he has in mind for me tomorrow long ago. And I get to think all the great things God has for me. Well, that's wonderful. But did you ever turn that verse around and realize God has that planned for that little baby in your hand? It's not just for you when you're 30 or when you're 40 or when you're 50 to claim over yourself. But if God has purposes prepared beforehand for this little thing that can't even walk yet, or the five-year-old that can walk but can't read very well, or the 10-year-old that can walk and read but, well, they've got other issues and, well, we won't go there just yet. God's got a plan and God's got a purpose for them. You see, we are all image bearers of God, no matter our age. Children, parents alike, we are all created in his image for a very specific purpose. None of us are biological accidents. So parents have the great privilege 
of shaping their children toward that purpose. It means parents also have the great responsibility of shaping their children toward that purpose. So let me, let me set the stage a little better. Uh, a little later in the exact same book of Ephesians, Paul says that God gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists for what? For the equipping of the saints. You know what that means? It means you're not here for me. I'm here for you. You get that? I am here. My goal, my purpose is to help you become all that God intends for you to be. And that's what we need to understand as parents, that we are here to help those children become what God has created them to be. You see, all parents ultimately are pastors. Did you know that? Because your family is your first church. Your family is your first ministry. Parents are pastors. We exist to equip the little saints that God has given us. And in some cases, it means helping them become saints in the first place. We're the ones that need to teach them about who Jesus is and what he's done. It's a privilege and it's a responsibility. But there are two aspects to helping them walk into this purpose. And if I could just be honest, the church misses one of them way too often. You see, the first aspect of helping them walk in their purpose is helping them find a relationship with God, eternal life in heaven, to become a believer. That's incredibly important, isn't it? I mean, come on, we want to spend eternity with our children in heaven. We don't want to do that without them. And this is incredibly important. The problem is the church tends to stop there. And one of the things that we don't do very well is the other part of the purpose, which is to prepare them for productive life in society. And you say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, wait, think about this. If God prepared them for a purpose, if God has a calling on their life, they will not achieve that purpose. They will not be able to do that calling if you do not teach them how to get along with other people, how to obey their teachers so they will obey their boss, so they can stop getting fired from jobs. I mean, they can't accomplish the mission that God's given them if they can't even work on the earth. Are you with me? And here's the problem. Believers focus completely on getting their kids into heaven and don't really think much about preparing their children for life on earth. I'm just going to be honest. And then on the other hand, non-believers, they don't prepare them at all for going to heaven because they aren't going there themselves. They don't even know how to do that. So they put everything into preparing their children for life on earth. And that's why you find these people that are just so invested in, in going to the best universities and climbing the ladders of the corporate world and whatever. And here's the byproduct. Fast forward 30 or 40 years, those children grow up to be the most influential people in our society. They're the ones that are CEOs. They're the ones that are on television. Those are the NBA stars. They are the ones that are the voice of the generation, and yet they don't know Jesus. Because they were trained to succeed on earth, and they did. The problem is we are so focused, which is a good thing, on getting our children into heaven. We don't focus enough on making them be influences in the world so they can become the voice of their generation. This says you can be a CEO with integrity who loves Jesus because I am. That you can be on television and still have integrity because you love Jesus. You see, this purpose that God has for them is twofold. Yes, eternal life in heaven, but also the productive life of the purpose and the influence of the kingdom of God while here on earth. And that's the one that we need to step up a little bit in. Principle number two, parents give children an image of God. Everybody, all the parents right now are just kind of going, oh my gosh. That's not one of those amen brother statements. That's one of those oh my gosh statements. Because the reality is that's an impossible task, isn't it? 
But here's the good news. If God has called you to this, then God also will give you the grace for this. Because the reality is none of us can get it right. But this is why we need to grow closer to God. We need to be close to God so that we will be more like God because we communicate the nature of God to our children. It just happens. No one ever stands up and says, today I want to show you who God is by being him. No, it doesn't work that way. It just works because they know. They look to their earthly father and they get an idea of their heavenly father. They look to their mother and they get an idea of their father in heaven. They look to their parents. It's just a natural thing we do as humans because, again, we're all created in God's image. And so I I don't have the ability today to go through all of the attributes of God and talk about how each one of those is something we're communicating because if we were to talk about the attributes of God, it's an entire series. So what I'm going to do is just, just show you a couple as an example of some of God's attributes that we communicate by how we parent. How about one of these? The first one, just. God is just. What that means is there's right and there's wrong, and God hates when that is offended. You see, we have to have a standard of right and wrong, and we actually have to enforce it. You know why? Because he does. And when we just want our children to be happy all the time, so that we're like, oh, you know, you really shouldn't have done that, but I don't want to punish you. Oh, you know, you really shouldn't have done that, but I don't want to, you know, have to discipline you, or I don't want to have to make you feel bad, you know, so I'm just going to kind of let you have, have your own way and go your own way. What we are ultimately teaching our children is there is no such thing as right or wrong. Ultimately, there's no such thing as sin, and God doesn't punish it. The problem is we know that he does, don't we? And we're setting our children up for failure because someday they're going to encounter a standard of right and wrong. This is why Proverbs 13 says, he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Do you love your child? Then be diligent to teach them the difference between right and wrong. Now, for some of us, we're really good at enforcing that. Come on, man, we got that. But then the next one, love. See, God is love. And his love is unconditional. This is one of the biggest problems in the world today when they look at, at, at God and they, they have a problem when you invite them to church. They say, I don't want to come to your church because how can a loving God let such and such happen? There are so many people that don't understand that all of God's attributes are equal. And he can be all of them all at the same time. That's another message, but here's the point. We believe that God's love trumps everything else. Because the Bible says God is love, therefore God is mostly love and a little bit justice. God is a lot of love and somewhat mercy, and it doesn't work that way. You see, you don't have to throw out justice to have love. Love doesn't get rid of justice. Love encompasses justice. Matter of fact, when most of us want things to be just, we want a loving father to come and make things right because they're wrong. That's the internal cry we have for justice. How about mercy and grace? Here's the truth. Your kids aren't going to get it all right. There are going to be times where they cross that standard. There are going to be times where they have hard times. There are going to be times where they have failures. And you know what? If this has never happened, just going to give you a news flash because I have a teenager. There are going to be times where they have a bad attitude. Shocking. There are days where they may say something in a bad moment of their lives, and you have an opportunity to display mercy and grace, just like God does, to be merciful and gracious. 
And you say, wait a minute, Jimmy, you just talked to me about how I have to be just and I have to teach them the difference between right and wrong. Yes, just like your Father in heaven does. But you know what your Father in heaven also does? Is he has mercy and grace toward you. How many times have we gotten frustrated with God and upset with God and we've shouted out in a bad attitude and we probably deserve to be struck with lightning, but he didn't do it? How many times have we been like, God, I'm praying and I just don't understand why. Why can't I do this? And then sometimes your teenager is like, I don't understand why you always say no. Why can't I do this? Sounds just like the same thing. But God is merciful and gracious towards our attitudes and our immaturity as we're growing. And there are times we're going to have to display mercy and grace. And if you say, Jimmy, how how in the world do you know which one is which? I don't know. Only God seems to know how to do it perfectly. Welcome to humanity. How about this one, truth? I believe hypocrisy does more to undermine a child's faith than most things that parents could do. You see, they see the real you. They know the real you. But you show the world a fake you. You go to church and you smile and you carry this, but you go home and lay it down and never touch it again. They see that. They know the fake us. You guys love some of the stories that I give you when I'm up here preaching. I talk about how I've got an anger problem. And and I tell you the funny stories about how I had this automatic light on my house and it didn't come on when I automatically got in front of it. So I tapped it a little bit and I tapped it harder until I eventually ripped it off the wall because it doesn't deserve to be up there, right? And it was funny to you. But my kids saw that. You see, you think the stories of my anger are hilarious. They're watching like, should I back up? Wonder what he's going to hit next. The kids see the real us. And we've got to be honest about who the real us is. That means live what you say and when you don't own your mistakes. Live what you say. And when you can't and when you don't, then own your mistakes. Because, you see, I think children are understanding. I think children are forgiving. At least that's my experience with most. And I was a youth pastor and a middle and high school teacher for a long time. What they can't tolerate is the hypocrisy that says, I will punish you for what you did wrong, but you will look the other way for what I did wrong. Just be honest. Number three, give them a healthy sense of value. A healthy sense of value. So I kind of came up with a term as I was writing this message. It's just what the Holy Spirit gave me. Just kind of go with this. But I believe there are sun kids And there are moon kids. Y'all ready for this? Sun kids are the people who are at the center of everything and everything revolves around them. Their happiness is all that matters. Their activities come first. They virtually never hear the word no. Mommy, I want to play soccer. Practices are Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Sure thing. Mommy, I want to play baseball. Practices are Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Sure thing. Mommy, I want to do ballet and piano lessons. What day is that? Every day on the other side of town, three minutes after soccer practice ends. It's okay. We'll figure it out. I'll drive myself crazy. Might even end up divorced. But as long as you're happy, yes, baby. Sun kids. You see, there's something called the only child syndrome. And that is for children who grow up as the only child in the home. Even if you try hard to say no, there usually just isn't enough opportunity for it. See, there's not a sibling to ever get into a fight with them. You go out and you say, hey, where do you want to go to dinner? I mean, come on, guys, follow this. When you're with your wife and say, where do you want to go to dinner? You go where she says. When you're with your kid and you say, where do you want to go to dinner? You go where he or she says. 
This is why when guys go to lunch, we always get what we want. Come on, right? You guys with me? So what happens is you get in the car. If it's not a date night, then you just say, where do you want to go? And the kid goes, Chuck E. Cheese. And guess where you're eating? Chuck E. Cheese. Exactly. Among only children, the divorce rate is 84%. Catch that? Because everything revolves around them until the day they get married and suddenly they're supposed to be an equal part and they don't know how to compute. Son kids, we're not setting them up for success. On the other extreme, not any better, are moon kids. It's where they revolve around us. They're just a byproduct. I mean, they're just there because you have kids. It's what you do. You get married, you have kids. Nobody asked that. Nobody even asked the question. The only question you might ask is how many? You just get married, you're going to have kids. Matter of fact, you get married, people say, so when are you going to have kids? If you've been married two years and you go to a family reunion, somebody's going to go, when are you going to have kids? You go to Christmas, when are you going to? I mean, come on, you don't know what I'm talking about. Because everybody just thinks it's an automatic add-on to life. Nobody ever is supposed to pray about it and say, geez, am I even supposed to have kids? Until now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the largest generation in our country, the millennials, are getting married later and having children later, if at all. Our largest generation is finally starting to ask the question because they've seen so much failure in both categories that they're not even sure they want to go there. Wow, that is scary for our population. If the largest generation starts to give up on raising children because of the poor job that's been done before them. You see, moon kids are just the add-on while the parents work so hard to escalate their career, maybe their personal hobbies that the children can't or don't participate in, TV watching that the children aren't interested in, so they have to go to another room, whatever it is. I'm not saying there's not a time for that. There are times when my wife and I, we do movie night and we send the kids to another room. You've just got to decide what is the balance. You've got to decide how often you can go out and do whatever your hobby is without your children. Because, see, your absence means that their largest influences will not be you, but it will be their friends or the Internet or their teachers or whatever else is willing to put time into their lives. My son, Caden, my wife calls Little Jimmy. That's probably a curse if he wants to be a basketball player. Not going well for him. But he is just like me, and that's why he got the nickname. And so he always wants to do things with me because, like People hang out together, I guess. And, and he wants to do things that I like to do because the things I like to do are things he likes to do. So he always comes to me and he's like, Daddy, will you play with me? Daddy, will you play with me? Daddy, will you play chess? Are you kidding? I just finished preaching three services and I'm trying to watch the Panthers. He has no care for the Panthers at all. He has no care for any sports at all. So it's always in the middle of whatever game I'm trying to watch. Daddy, will you play chess with me? That takes like brain power. Daddy, will you play Legos with me? And his idea of playing Legos is I find all the pieces he wants to build with. But you know what? Here's the thing. I need to make every effort I can to say yes. Let me tell you why. Because I remember my dad. I would always ask him. And my dad, who worked three jobs because he worked so hard, he would mostly say no because he was tired. He was physically tired. He had worked all day. Six days a week. And he said, I just need to rest. And there came a point where I just stopped asking the question. He was a great dad. He did everything he could to provide. But I, I realized at some point just saying, Daddy, will you play with me was a waste of time. And I don't want my son to go there. 
You see, son kids, if they have parents who always seek to make them happy, you'll fail them this way. They'll think God exists to make them happy. They'll think he's going to answer every prayer. They'll think everything is going to go their way. They think that God is their servant to whatever their purpose is. And that sets them up for failure. But moon kids, well, their parents are often distant and uninvolved, and so their kids are going to grow up to have a hard time understanding that God wants to have a personal relationship with them, and they will fail them. So what is the balance? Well, fortunately, most often. I mean, it barely misses. God does the balance for you. God puts one parent of a moon child in marriage to another parent of a sun child. Did you catch that? God puts opposites together. And then you end up in my office for marriage counseling. Because <laughs> you don't understand that God was using your differences to create a balanced life. You see, God puts a morning person with a night person because the kids need to get up and go to school. But then on Fridays, the kids need to stay up late and eat popcorn and watch a movie with the only parent that can stay awake. Right? You see, the, the kids need a spender and a saver. You, you need a saver because somebody needs to pay for their college someday. But you need a spender because somebody needs to take them out to eat ice cream at Cold Stone and pay way too much for it. I mean, come on, you ever do that and you're looking at it like, for this much ice cream, I could have bought you unlimited ice cream for six months for all of this. But here's the thing. Your kids are never going to remember the unlimited ice cream in the kitchen while you sat on the, the couch and watched TV. But they will remember going out for expensive ice cream and sitting on a park bench and laughing with you. You're making memories. You're not buying ice cream, and that's worth the price, by the way. God puts opposites together. So if you're the parent that is always winning the fight, chances are you're a little off balance. If you're the parent that's always losing the fight, a little off balance. God will put you together to bring balance. One of you wants your kid to do every activity upon the earth, soccer, basketball, ballet, ballet I mean, piano, violin, whatever it is. And then somebody else, they don't need any of that. I mean, whatever it is, you know, just two parents put together. And you may say, well, how do I know what to do? Because I don't want to limit my children. I don't know if they're going to grow up to be, you know, LeBron James or, or a CEO or a concert pianist. I don't know what they're going to do. Well, God does. So you trust the Holy Spirit. Say, God, I can't, I can't do everything with my kids because I, I don't want my kids to think that they're the center of the world and I don't want to revolve our entire family around them. We want them to learn to hear no because God's going to say no. So, you know, there are times you should be able to look at a child and say we can't do that because that's not good for the family. That's a good phrase. So ask God when to say no because God knows what he created them to do. Number four, this is fun. Say this one with me. Kill the will. Ready? Kill the will, but not the child, because we love them. Not the child, just the will. And that means do not crush the spirit. There's a huge difference. You see, most of us think that child rearing is all about behavior. I grew up believing it was all about behavior. All my family really cared about when I was growing up was just act good in public. Come on, anybody with me? I mean, how many times would you get the talking to before getting out of the car at church? Now, you better not act like you did last week. Drop us off at school. You better not make a fool of yourself today at school. I mean, come on. Has anybody else? I was raised in the South. That's, I guess that's the way that goes. Too many of us are focused on how the child acts, and too many are worried about the child embarrassing you. I'm going to let that settle for a minute. Because that really is a problem that we don't understand. You see, here's the reality. 
God's not embarrassed by you. And we're sinful. We do many things that would be a humiliation to the glory of his name. That's why you don't put bumper stickers on your car with the way you drive. Because you already know you would embarrass him. That's why there are many people you don't hang out with and things you don't do. When you do those, you don't wear your Christian t-shirts because you know you would embarrass your God. And yet God still loves you. Stop worrying about what people think about you by the way your children act. Because see, how they act isn't even the issue. Behavior comes from the will. What we need to do is turn their will toward God, and that starts right now by turning their will toward you. Because the younger they are, the more you are the stand-in for God, teaching them God's ways and teaching them godly authority. That's why we have to kill the will. The whole Christian life is about learning to submit our will to God's. Do you understand that? I wake up every day, as I hope you do, and I look in the mirror, and I look in Scripture, and I see where they don't match. And I see where I've got to conform my will to God's. I just want to go out and spend and do whatever I want to get over my problems. And God says, no, save and be content with what I've given you. I've got to conform my will to his. I want to go and scream at the person that treated me poorly yesterday. And God says, no, don't, don't do revenge. Leave, leave that not, not in your lane. Matter of fact, I want you to pray a blessing on those who curse you. You see, I constantly have to conform my will to God's, and that is the best thing that we could teach our children at a young age is conform your will to the authority above you because it is the story of our lives. Anyone who knew me in my 20s especially, you know, when you're a kid, everybody's kind of a jerk as a kid. We all have those things. So people knew me as a teenager kind of like me. People who knew me in my 20s would be shocked and actually appalled to know I'm a pastor today which is probably why God sent me to a different city <laughs> to be a pastor. Let me tell you why. Because in my 20s, I was such an arrogant, obnoxious, self-absorbed person who thought what I wanted was all that mattered. My perspective was the only one that mattered. My opinion was the only one that mattered. I was going to conquer the world, and I was going to walk across the backs of anybody who was in the way. Because, And I was a Christian, but I just thought I was going to achieve great things because I was great, because it was all about me. And you know where it came from? True story. It started when I was seven years old. Probably started before that, but I'll tell you the event. At seven years old, my mom attempted to kill the will. She was disciplining me, and here in the South, you can just decide what that means. And at seven years old, true story, as she attempted to use an implement to discipline me, I reached out and grabbed the implement with my left hand and said, don't you ever touch me again, woman. And because my dad worked three jobs, he was never home to deal with that. And I won. I won the battle of the wills. My mom never confronted me again. I never asked if I could go out as a teenager. I just told him what time I'd be home. I ruled my world because I did well in high school. My teachers let me do the same thing. I showed up late every day for school. I had a teacher who would write me a tardy pass to my class. I ruled my world. And it set me up for the greatest failure because this is my calling. And God said, never will I let you lead until you follow me. I will crush your will. And let me tell you what, it would have been so much easier if my parents had done it. But the nearly two decades of what God put me through to break my will, to conform to his, 
Don't put your kids through what mine put me through by letting me have my way. It's one of the worst things we can do for our children. Number five, principle number five, let's end on a good note. How about this one? Win their heart. Come on, win their heart. Because here's the truth. If you don't, something or someone else will. Y'all hear me? If you don't win their heart, something or someone else will. Now, here's the key. Because as soon as I say win their heart, automatically our human thinking says that we need to ignore half of what I've already said today. One of the ways we would assume to win someone's heart is to make them the center. If I always make them happy, if I let them do every activity, if I smile at them and if I give them ice cream anytime they ask for it, if they're always happy and everything revolves around them, then they will say, oh, you are the best parent ever and I will win their heart. No, that's a lie. It is a lie to think that if we don't punish them, if we don't enforce right and wrong, that they'll somehow say, thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me have my way. You're the best parent. You have my heart. No. Winning their heart is not done through happiness. It's done through love. And any married people in the room that have been married for over a year know what I'm talking about. You weren't always happy with the circumstances of your relationship, but you made it because of love. You're here today because of love, the commitment to be there for that person. Any of us that walk with God for any period of time, it, it wasn't because we were always happy. It was because of God's love poured out in our lives. Come on, are you with me? You understand? It's love. Here's what this means. It means you've got to believe in them, truly believe in them, the purposes that God has for them. You've got to believe in them, and you've got to want their best. And let me promise you, you can't fake either of those. You can't. They're going to know. You can't hide. You need to listen when they talk. Don't kill their dreams or their ideas. Can I tell you, I am the poster child for dream killing. I told you we could talk about failures today. Even the staff knows it. I mean, I, this is just in parenting. This is even how I lead the church. We'll have a brainstorming session, and as soon as somebody comes up with an idea, I'm, that's a dumb idea. That won't work. Let me tell you what. Don't write that on the board. That ain't even worthy of getting on the board. The staff will be like, we need to have a brainstorming session on how to have a Christmas Eve service. Don't invite to me. Because I'm, I'm such a pragmatist. I can, I can just look at ideas, and I can compute all the things that need to happen and won't happen, and the personality involved, and just go, that's never going to work. And even if I'm right most of the time, that's not what people want to hear. Our oldest son, when he was in the realm of 12 years old, is when this really began to blow up, because I thought that he was like me, because we're a lot alike in many things, but his soul is much more like his mom. And so I'm, I want somebody to be direct with me all the time. If I'm trying something that the person watching me knows I'm about to fail and they don't tell me that, I'm going to smack them when I'm done. Why'd you watch me waste my time, fool? You know, I mean, that's kind of where I am. And so, you know, my son had, had a dream. He wants to do something. I just looked like, that ain't going to work. Let me tell you why. Laugh with me. You've made mistakes. Come on. Y'all looking at me like, <gasps> and it crushed him. And it turns out I'd been crushing him for a long time and continued to crush him because all I knew how to do was just be me, just pragmatic me. And I had lost his heart. And we discovered somewhere about his teenage years of 15 or 16 that there was such a rift between our heart, it was clear it had been lost. There was that time where he sat at the dinner table and said, I'm not even sure I believe what you believe. That'll, that'll crush you. So let me tell you what I recommend. 
You do everything that you can, any amount of money necessary to win your child's heart. Let me give you an example. A friend of mine who was a pastor had done an experience. It was a father-son type of adventure. You know, those outdoorsy trap you in these weird situations and forced conversations kind of experiences. And he had told me, man, you just really need to do this with your son. You really need. And he tried for three years to convince me how badly I needed to do this. But every time I looked at the price tag, and this is a big price tag for a week, and I'm a pastor. Those two just didn't match. It wasn't possible. But you know what? People say that to me all the time. People all the time tell me, well, I, I'm sorry, pastor, I can't afford counseling, or I can't afford that, or I can't afford that. Let me tell you, whatever it costs to win your child's heart is worth more than 20 years of Disney vacations. Because there's nothing more important than going through life with having your children's heart and them having yours. It's the most important thing. And once my wife and I figured out we had completely lost his heart, we said, okay, we're in. And we took whatever amount of money was necessary, and we made that happen. And we began the week as they put us in those experiences. All right, you two go off and talk about it. We're like, we don't talk to each other. We flew halfway across the country and barely asked, what do you want for lunch? We sit in two little chairs, both looking that way across the mountain. They ain't looking at each other. Come on, y'all know how guys talk. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? You know, that kind of thing. By the end of the week, standing on top of a mountain, hugging each other, both crying, saying, I'm sorry for the father I've been, and him saying, I love you. It's worth the money. It's worth whatever it takes. It's worth the Cold Stone expensive ice cream. It's worth a week of vacation. It is worth three Disney vacations. It is worth whatever it takes to win their heart. So the moral of the story today, if you can't remember anything else, remember this. Don't let your children grow up accidentally. Be intentional. There are three ways you can train your child in the way he should go. Two of them are accidental. Only one is intentional. You see, parenting is a calling. Children are a gift. Stewarding their lives is a great privilege, and it is also a great responsibility, and that is why you cannot let your children grow up accidentally. I just want to say by the Spirit, I feel like there are some people that right now your, your heart is broken because you feel like I've missed it. My children are late teenage or they've moved out of the house or we're empty nesters or whatever. You, you think it's, it's too far gone. And I, I just want to tell you today it's not too far gone. I don't care if your children are 20 or 30 or 50 or older than that. I want to challenge you to go sit down with your children and say I'm sorry it's an impossible task and I failed or at least sort of failed you can blame it on me I heard this message at church and I didn't realize all these things I were doing wrong I, I, I'm sorry you see the humility of an apology especially to someone who is now old enough to know how hard the job is it is never too late to win their heart. Go win their heart at 50 if you didn't win it at 15. I have a challenge for us today, and, and for those of you I was just talking to, that's your challenge, you're done. You don't have to listen to anything else. But for the other parents in the room, 
those of us that are still at the age where we're fully engaged in this activity, my challenge to you is find out how you're doing. But the bad news is this is not a self-graded test. Start with your spouse. Sit down and ask your spouse how you're doing at parenting in light of what we've seen in the list today. But if you want a real answer, ask your kids. You don't necessarily have to give them the list of five. You could just look at them and say, hey, on a scale of one to ten, give me a grade as a parent. Maybe do report card style, whatever. Whatever works. Just ask them, how am I doing as a parent? I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. Number one, don't do it as a group. Don't ask all your children together. You don't want that ganging up on you. One at a time. But I'm going to warn you, their answers may be jaded because they may be hurt. Their answers may be skewed. They are young. Their answers might be disrespectful. They may hurt. And I'm not saying that their answers will be perfectly true to the correct perspective. But I can tell you one thing their answers will do. It'll show you where their heart is. And that is worth asking the question. For one other group of people, raise your hand if you still live with your parents. have a challenge for you. Have some grace. Have some mercy. You may not realize it for another 20 years, but your parents are doing the hardest job ever created. And that is to show you God. Nobody's going to get that right all the time. Be thankful for the few times they do and be merciful for the times they don't. Be gracious to your parents and forgive a lot because God has forgiven you a lot. The core of biblical parenting is recognizing that God has an expectation and a recipe for how to raise our children. And we should have biblical practices built on biblical principles. Do not parent your children accidentally. I want to close by talking to those of you who have yet to make Jesus your king. And today I want to highlight something different. Maybe not all of you, but many of you, the reason you have yet to surrender your life to God is because of a bad experience with your parents. Because who they have conveyed God to be is a disconnect. Maybe it was the hypocrisy. Maybe it was the mistakes they made. I don't know. But see, here's the thing. That's what the enemy would love for you to be looking at. He'd love for you to be looking at what your parents have not done perfectly instead of what God did perfectly. God's love for you is so incredible that he sent his son, Jesus, to die the most horrific death the earth could fathom so that you could have eternal life. I want to to encourage you, I want to ask you, I even want to challenge you to set aside all of your frustrations and all of your disappointments that you've had with the authority figures in your life, the ideas that they've given you of who God is. I want to to challenge you, stop letting that keep you from the blessing of God. Let's set that aside. And today, for the first time, will you embrace the goodness of God in your life? If you've never made Jesus your king, I wanna help you do that right now. And I'm not gonna ask you to stand up or come down front, but right where you're seated, we're gonna pray. Would you all join me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me 
And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And I thank you that you are a perfect and good father. So my prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.